0: just come to the word of God and back in the book of John or John chapter 14 and let's just just take a moment just to pray and Father we come to your word Lord it's not an afterthought Lord it's not something we just do because we think we ought to Father we come to your word because it's through the word that you speak to us Father we come and we want to hear from you Lord, not my voice your voice, I ask. So the Holy Spirit invites you to come and take your very words and apply them to our hearts for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last time I spoke, we we talked about how the disciples were facing this triple valley of betrayal, of departure, of, of denial. Um, and that was the backdrop to, to John chapter 14 and verse 1. And it explains the words of Jesus Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, the news that Jesus was leaving them is absolutely devastating. You don't next day do they? And yet, Jesus gives them three reasons why he has to leave the disciples, why he has to leave this world and go to heaven. Firstly, the hope of future glory. Secondly, the revelation of the Father. And thirdly, the equipping of the Holy Spirit. And these three reasons are still as important today, in fact, they should help to calm our fears. They should bring reassurance to our hearts to give us all that we need. And we need to take hold of these promises and just apply them to our lives in each and every situation that we face. Let's just read some scripture. Just get what Jesus says first, and then we'll come back to some of those thoughts. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you. I'm not going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to his father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father that would, that, that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and you believe that I So don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own Father. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. That the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because. neither sees him or knows him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Are we getting the recording okay? Have we got to get on there (laughs) Perfect. So, as Jesus believes them, he leaves them with these three promises. We've mentioned the hope of glory, the revelation of the Father, the equipping of the Holy Spirit. So, so, first of all, this hope, the hope of future glory, our destiny. So, in other words, one day, we will go to be where he is. We're going to go to be with Jesus. Now, you know, Thomas asked the very obvious question, where? And Jesus talks but heaven is this very real place, not a product of some sort of religious imagination. Heaven is a place where God dwells, where Jesus is today at the very right hand of God, the Father.
1: In other parts of the Bible, heaven is described
0: as a kingdom. So in Second Peter chapter one eleven it says, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Also, as an inheritance, 1 Peter 1 4, an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Also described as a country in Hebrews, as a city in Revelation. But here in John chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus describes heaven as a home. My Father's house. many rooms. It's a home for God's children. And Jesus paints this picture of this spacious abode where they will one day live with God in the Father's house as God's people forever. It's very easy for us to imagine heaven in terms of material terms. We think of the physical things of this world that we have come to enjoy, our health, and our comfort, our tranquility, our pleasures, and We imagine this, this perfect home in this perfect setting where nothing can possibly spoil us. But what will ultimately make heaven this perfect place is not some sort of beautiful mansion, sort of overlooking an idyllic setting, but it's being with God. That's worth saying. That the Bible does promise an eternity in a new and in the most unimaginably beautiful what matters most is that we will one day finally be at home with our Creator. And too often our hearts are troubled and we tend to look to other places and to other things to try and cheer ourselves up. When Jesus points us to the full and to the permanent presence of God, and one day we will join. that is where a true joy is to be found. Jesus says, that you will be where I am. This prospect of being with Jesus should be our greatest delight and surely is where our hope should be found and should be what we truly long for. So Jesus wants the disciples to know that he is leaving for this very positive reason to prepare a place for them, this wonderful home. He offers them the prospect of being part of God's immediate family, and His going, by His death, by His resurrection, by His ascension, even though in this stage the disciples don't know that bit yet, but His going is for the extraordinary and for the eternal benefit of His disciples. He is going to procure lodgings for them. With this place, that he is going to is ready, he's going to come back to collect his disciples that's all those who follow Jesus and he's going to personally bring them into this place that he's prepared for them how much that would encourage them to hear that they know that they would be living in the father's house what a huge comfort to a troubled heart it also, should be a huge comfort to our heart as well. As so we face difficulties, as we face uncertainties within life, knowing that our eternal destiny is certain, should be what we need for a troubled heart. And Jesus is building a church on earth, but also a home for his church in heaven. And words really fail to do this justice. It's very difficult to get enough. Yes, together to fully do justice to what was going on here, because even later on, as the Apostle John begins to describe heaven in the book of Revelation, he runs out of symbols and comparisons to do justice to what heaven will be like. But finally, in Revelation 21 and 22, he actually tries to do justice by saying what won't be there. No death. No sorrow, no pride, no sin, no pain, no night, and so on goes on. What a wonderful home it will be to enjoy forever! But there's another part to, in answer to, to Thomas's question, and it's this: How do we get there? And Jesus has made it very clear that there is only one way, and that He is the way. So heaven is a real place. It's a loving place. But also, it's an exclusive case. Not everybody is going to heaven. It's only those who trust in Jesus Christ. So in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Jesus does not teach the way, he's not pointing to the way, he is the way. It's radical. This is perhaps one of the most famous and yet controversial statements that Jesus has ever made about himself. I am the way. When it comes to coming to the God of heaven, Jesus does not just give advice or direction, but he gives himself. The message is not go that way, it's come to me. He is what you need. It's not a path, it's not a system, it's not a program, it's a person. One person, Jesus. And this is one of the most exclusive claims that has ever been made. Only Jesus is the way, and what is possible through him is not possible anywhere else or through anyone else. So Jesus, he's not just one option among among different options, not one way of finding the and direction along with equally other valid options. Jesus announces no one comes to the Father except through me. And this wipes out any other way to heaven, any other religion, any good works, any religious ceremonies, any expensive gifts, there is only one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. What Jesus gives you in himself is definitive, the truth and the life. And there is literally an eternity of difference between Jesus saying, "I am the way," and I am a way. The life is Jesus himself, and you can know him today. The message, of the gospel. It's the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ. And you know Him through a simple prayer of faith. You should put your hope and your trust in Him as you turn from your sins, as you invite Jesus Christ to come into life, into your heart. And this assurance, this certainty of heaven should keep us calm in the middle of the most difficult situations. It certainly should help to calm the disciples, God. And after all, no one minds a difficult journey along the road as long as that road leads home. An assurance of a heavenly home at the end of life's journey should enable us to joyfully bear the obstacles and the battles along the way. In fact, it was the assurance—this assurance that he even encouraged Jesus. So Hebrews chapter twelve, and verse two, it says this: For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul, the apostle Paul, is in thinking exactly the same sort of thing when he writes the words in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This glorious destiny is our hope. It's our certainty. So that we do not let our hearts be troubled. In the middle of whatever you may be going through, no matter how difficult that thing may be, if you know that your hope and your certainty is secure because of Jesus, if you know that your destiny is heaven, what else have we got to fear? What else have we got to worry about? The second reason why Jesus left, had to go and be back with his father in heaven, was to complete his revelation of the father. This time as Philip's turn to ask the question, he says, show us the father, and this question is still being asked today, not in different words, different format, but where is God in the middle of the troubles and the tragedies of life? Or if God would just reveal himself to me well then I would believe him more I could, be, I could just accept the whole thing my faith would be stronger Jesus replies to all those questions and he says if you have seen me you have seen the Father because Jesus and the Father are one they are equally God. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in Jesus, and they are inseparable. We can almost hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice in these verses, because he's been with the disciples for three years, and yet they seem to have missed the most vital and irrefutable fruitful reality, that by knowing Jesus, they are not ignorant of who God is and what he's really like. And this is another enormous life-changing freedom. Which needs to sink deep into our hearts and into our minds. But it's also clear that it should also bring peace to your troubled heart in each and every situation. Jesus has been showing the disciples the Father all the time, and he's been with them. So everything he's done, everything that he's said, is repeating the Father. In fact, Jesus goes on to say something even more surprising. He says, The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. And see, I wouldn't have finished that sentence the way Jesus does. I was expecting Jesus to say that the words that I speak are not my own, rather, it is the Father living in me who is speaking. He said Jesus actually says, He says, that as he speaks. The Father is doing His work. Not speaking, the Father is doing His work. In other words, to see God at work, all you need to see is what happens through the words of Jesus. It's the words of Jesus that show the works of the Father. And listen, that hasn't changed today. What a blessing that we still have, the very Word of God. To read how life changing it is, how marvellous it is. So we have to wait to enter heaven to get to know the Father. We can know today, we can receive from him the spiritual resources that we need to keep us going with this are difficult through knowing the words of Jesus. Now, there are four different levels of knowing in the Gospel of John. The first level is just simply to know facts, so it's like revising for your exams. You revise your exams, you do the exams, you forget about it. Pretty much, that's how it goes. Um, the next level is understanding the truth behind those facts. But actually, it's very possible you may know the facts, even though the truth behind the facts, and actually still be lost in your sin. The third level, introduced relationship, is to believe in a person to become related to them. In fact, in other parts of scripture, this level of to know is used of the most intimate relationship between a man and his wife, in Genesis 4 verse 1. But then there's a fourth level of know, which means to have an even Deeper relationship with a person, a deeper communion. And it's this level that Paul refers to when he wrote Philippians chapter three and verse ten, he said, that I may know him. It's also the depth of relationship that Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 14. So it's through knowing, deeply knowing and seeing Jesus that that the disciples could know, deeply know and see the Father at this real deeper levels. Now Philip, he's from a long ways since he first met Jesus. First, since Jesus first called him back in John chapter 1, his burning desire is that he might know the Father. That should also be our desire as well. And the reason why we need to know and to read and to understand and to study the Word of God, because it's through the Word that you will know the Father the God of the word better. And you need to understand, just like Philip, that the words of Jesus, as well as his works, come from the Father and reveal the Father. Of course, see, you and I can't see Jesus in the mountains. I know it's pretty obvious, but we cannot physically see Jesus. But we do see him and his works in the word. And one of the key of John's Gospels is that you cannot separate Christ's words from his works because both come from the Father and both reveal to the Father. Four hundred years before Jesus was born, the great philosopher Peter read these words. He says, to find the Father-maker of all this universe is a hard task. And when we have found him, to speak to him to all men is impossible. Plato didn't know about Jesus, and Plato was wrong. See, we can know the Father and the maker of this universe because Jesus Christ has revealed him to us. So, why should your hearts be troubled when you can know the Creator and the Sovereign King of this universe as your Father? Listen, He is in control, and there is no need for your hearts to be troubled. So, what are the implications of this for you and me today? Well, Jesus tells us, actually, He promises it to, to us. He says this, Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. What a promise that is. What what is Jesus actually saying there? Well, Jesus can't be saying that that actually somehow we're going to outperform Jesus that somehow we're going to do more powerful miracles and ministry than he did. In fact, it's hard to imagine what that that might even look like. Not even the early apostles recorded the book of of Acts actually taught what Jesus did. And remember, it's through Jesus' words that the Father is working. But our greater works are not about us doing some sort of flashy miracles, but about us multiplying His message. Remember, words and works cannot be separated. And the more it is, words are shared, the greater the work done by the Father. Of course, in Jesus' earthly ministry. In one place at one time, but now millions of miles can be speaking his word all over the world at exactly the same time. So to see God at work, we need to be sharing the words of Jesus. That's why people get to speak this afternoon to share the words of Jesus. That's why this week is we going to work. When you get the opportunity, you share the word of Jesus, so that you may see God at work. Listen, there is no greater antidote to a troubled heart than to see God working and changing a life. Do your best. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Third reason: Jesus, by the way. Was so that they to be equipped with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus has got quite a lot to say about the Holy Spirit in this upper room next and it's only with the help of the Spirit of God that we can live the Christian life as God has called us to be. So, you must, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What do they say? Well, the Holy Spirit is given two names here by Jesus. The first is he is another comforter. The second, he is the spirit of truth. Now, John is the only person to use the word paracle does this great word for comforter, and means to call alongside to assist or an advocate, someone who will plead your case. So I, I guess we can think of the Holy Spirit as a little bit like a good lawyer in a courtroom who only him is to ensure that truth is heard. The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us, but it doesn't work in spite of us, but it works in us and it works through us. But actually, when we most of us think of the word comfort, we tend to think of someone who's very soothing or very consoling, and to some extent that is true. But true comfort will strengthen us to face life bravely, to enable us to keep us going even and in every situation. Although he is a Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he's also called the Spirit of Truth. So just as Jesus in verse 6 was called the truth, the Spirit is also the truth, and he has come to bring to the disciples, and to us of course, the truth embodied and taught by Jesus. So just as the Spirit inspired the Word of God, he also illuminates The word so that we may understand it, the Holy Spirit has got the most powerful teaching ministry ever. You know, I could stand up here and shout as loud as I possibly can, and it will not make one ounce of difference unless the Holy Spirit takes a message and applies it to your heart and mind. He is the one who teaches, he is the one who builds. And since he is the spirit of truth, he can lie, or he cannot lie, get it right. He cannot lie <laughs> or be associated with lies. And he will never lead us to do anything that is contrary to the word of God, because again, God's word is truth. And during Jesus' early ministry, he had guided, he had guarded, he had taught his disciples. And now he was going to leave them, his purpose in going was to the Spirit come to them and dwell in them, taking the place of their master. So in many ways, the key word of, of this little, these few verses, is another. See, when Jesus called the Spirit another comforter, he meant another of the same kind. In other words, the Spirit is to be for the disciples and for us what Jesus himself has always been. He is another kind of Jesus, a presence to help the disciples, just as Jesus had been doing all along, exactly the same for us. The Holy Spirit doesn't have some sort of separate, a sort of agenda to Jesus, he is the continuation, in fact he's the application of Jesus ministry. So the Spirit of God had been with the disciples in the person of Jesus would now that he was going he would dwell in them. So the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in power, in mighty power he was given to God's people to remain with them forever. We have the same spirit. God his grace has poured his spirit into our lives and we put our trust and our faith in Christ. And through these few verses, Jesus is building up this picture of a Trinitarian God. Now this is hard for your head around. One God. Three persons. Mm-hmm. Who is accessible, who is unified, and although you cannot physically see the Father, neither could the disciples. They could see the Father in knowing Jesus. But unlike the disciples who couldn't see the very works of Jesus, we cannot physically see Him. But it's through the works of the Spirit that you can see Jesus. It's through Jesus that you can know the Father. So it's through the Holy Spirit that you can understand the relationship of Jesus. With the Father, and amazingly and miraculously, you've been included in that relationship. It is the Spirit that makes the love that is yours through the Father and the Son a reality because it's those who love the Father who receive the Spirit. Verse 16. But this love, this love should lead us to obedience. Verse 15. So, obedience to Jesus is evidence of our love for him. Now, obedience is not a condition of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. It's by faith alone. It's by God's grace alone. It's through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It's not because you're good enough or because you can try hard enough. Jesus has done it all. He's done everything that we need. to obedience is not a condition of being a follower, but it is evidence that we are so you can't love without obeying, since example. but you can't obey without love. And neither of these are possible without the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you obey Jesus, even imperfectly, perfectly, it's a sign that you love Him, but also a sign that, that you love God the Father. So obedience is evidence of faith, and faith produces love and love produces allegiance and all of this is given and surrounded and sustained by the Spirit and none of this is possible without coming to Jesus. without Jesus you cannot receive the Spirit because without Jesus you live by sight, not by faith. It's only by faith that you can see Jesus. So you cannot have knowledge of the Spirit apart from the Son, it is equally true to say that you cannot know the Spirit. Sorry, that you can't. That when we know the Spirit, we know Jesus, and that you are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not hopeless. You are not helpless. Because wherever you go, the Spirit goes with you. And that is why Jesus says you should not be like orphans, and that there is no need to have a troubled heart when you have the very Spirit of God dwelling within you. So, this is who we are. This is the promise of God. That God will never leave us, that God will never forsake us. So as Jesus left this world, He gave you these three promises, as He gave the disciples the hope of future glory That's yours, in Christ. The revelation you can know the Father through the Son. How amazing is that? And you are equipped with His Spirit. You're no longer offense, but you are accepted by the one who reigns victorious over all. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Yes. Lord, thank you for your promises. And Lord, we, we, as we begin to distract the circles, Lord, of the truths within these verses, Lord, we, Lord, we don't pretend to fully understand the complexities of a God who's beyond our imagination. Well, a God we know is almighty and all-powerful, A God who is sovereign. Yeah. A God who is Lord. And Lord, we by the name and surrender to you Yes. And Lord, we pray, Father, as we look to you, that our hearts would not be troubled. As we believe in the Father, we believe also in Jesus. Father, I pray today that by your Spirit, settle troubled hearts. Yes. Settle troubled hearts, I pray. Settle troubled hearts with your presence, Lord. Mm-hmm. With your hope. and our peace to the One. Is worthy of all this. Yes. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.